All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. And I am here with uh, U.S. Army veteran and uh, Wall Street Bets trading uh, legend, maybe archivist, storyteller. (laughs) An enthusiast. Enthusiast. There you go. Uh, Mikey Millions, leader of leader of the Theta Gang and owner of the Kamikaze Cash channel. Uh, Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so uh, I am just super curious. I love the, I mean, I love the freeloader challenge. I think that's actually how the algorithm showed me your content. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I just, I'm fascinated by, I mean, I'm fascinated yeah, yeah. by Wall Street bets and the world of traders. Um, I don't know, do you want to give us a little bit about your background, how you ended yeah. up as a, as a uh-huh. weird finance YouTuber? Yeah, I mean, in this in the finance world, there's just so many things happening all at the same time. Everybody's got their own approach to how they want to invest. Some people are interested in investing, but they hate the risk, or some people just love the risk and chase after it, like we see on Wall Street Bets. There's so many different angles to come at finance from, and uh, it's always a growing experience. So for me, you know, I started off with a lot of very kind of low-risk type stuff, got really, really aggressive into it, and now I'm realizing there's a place for all kinds of different trading strategies. You can do the freeloader challenge, which I also really love. It's really ambitious, but I'm having a fun time with it. And then you've got all the YOLOs and stuff that go along with it. And every once in a while, you get to see somebody make a million dollars or lose a million dollars in a few hours on Wall Street bets. So there's so many different fun things I love about this. And the fact that I even get to do it as a semi-professional career, that's a tremendous amount of fun for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I have been one shocked at like the niches that people can carve out as content creators and when you can i mean the best are always going to be ones that take something they love anyway and mm-hmm. combine it you know make it make entertaining videos with it um and you know yeah it's it's been strange like i i, I imagine we're probably around the same age like i'm 35 so 31 yeah yeah, so like being a, a YouTuber in your 30s, it hits different, as as I always tell people. Um, they either think you're yeah. you're uh, like a completely delusional, like telling people you want to be a rapper, um, or they mm-hmm. believe you're like making Jake Paul money. You're gonna be you're gonna be boxing other YouTubers in yeah. no time. There's a lot of room in the middle <laughs> for those. I mean, it's it's funny because when I tell people over about 40, maybe over 50, that I'm a YouTuber, they look at me like I'm some kind of kid making dumb memes or aiming channel. And then uh, when I talk to people who are in their 20s, they think it's the greatest thing in the world. And every once in a while, I'll find somebody who, who actually has seen me before on YouTube or, or something like that, and they get all excited about it. But by and large, yeah, I got to be, I got to kind of quantify what I say to people when I tell them I'm a YouTuber as a profession. Like I have to actually tell them I'm a full-time content creator with sponsorships and things like that. Otherwise, they don't take me seriously for the rest of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely had that. You definitely learned the the euphemism of, you know, I'm a, I'm a content creator. Yeah, you have to, especially <laughs> when it comes to things like when you tell your in-laws that you're going to quit your job at the Pentagon to become a YouTuber, they look at you like you're crazy. That is a, a tough sell, you know. Same thing with, you know, your own parents, your own family and stuff like that. But when you talk to people your own age, Everybody kind of gets it. Like, there's a lot of room to grow up in YouTube. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so okay, I didn't realize you were at the Pentagon. Um, 
I was actually at Homeland Security and had basically the same trajectory, mm-hmm. the same weird conversations with my parents where I, yeah. you know, I had to explain to them that, you know, I mean, I had to show them the numbers. So how, so can you take us a little bit through your background? How did you go from, you know, making <clears throat> questionable trades as a the high schooler to the Pentagon to uh, making YouTube videos? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's a long story, but it's one that uh, it's not too uncommon. I think there's probably a lot of people that have been in the same boat as me, or at least pretty close to it. So I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, it's going to get dark real quick. But on 9-11, I went up on a hill right near my house, and I was able to see the smoke coming across the towers when they when they had fallen. So I know my dad had been in the Army when he was you know in his 20s. I knew right there I was going to do something in the military or you know national security, something like that. And I had these big dreams, you know, 10 years old wanting to be the director of the FBI one day. But I mean, that all starts off somewhere. So for me, it was you know, keeping that in the back of my mind that I wanted to join the military. And then they've got in high school, they have the, the Marines come out with their swords and their push-up competitions and their carabiners and all their, you know, their oorah stuff. And I thought initially that was the way I wanted to go. I wanted to be a Marine and wear the snappy uniforms and stuff like that. I am so glad that my dad talked me out of it. He said, like, it, you know, they come in, they put on this great show for you. They get you down to the recruiter's office, and you, you never see all these different options, ways that you can serve. I didn't even know what an officer really was when I was ready to join the military. I thought it was like Call of Duty. Everybody joins as a private. You work your way up. You make sergeant major. Then you get promoted to lieutenant. And so I figured there's no, there's no alternative. You just you want to join the military. You show up, and you tell them that you want to shoot guns, and they take you in. But then I found out about ROTC, and then I could actually go to college learn there then you know you get that fast track to the officership and you've got a lot to learn very quickly because second lieutenants they don't literally you don't last long in the military you have to either learn or you you don't make it very far so i finally got into so once i got to college did rotc for the four years um got to go to college for free which anybody who's listening right now who's looking at you know where do you want to go to college how are you going to pay for it seriously consider applying for an rotc scholarship you can finish your you can get whatever degree you want to entirely paid for by the government and if you don't really want to join the military afterwards that's fine you can finish rotc and join the national guard or the military the army reserve or air force reserve and be like a medical service officer and it's probably the easiest job that you could get and get school paid for but i went into military intelligence because i had these big dreams about being uh you know working at the pentagon or being a fbi director or something like that um and my first, once I, you know, finished my training for military intelligence, I went to Italy first and the 173rd, I became a paratrooper, uh, then came back to the U.S. for training and then went off to Korea. So I've spent most of my career overseas by that point, came back to the U.S. for one final assignment in Georgia, uh, and then got out of the military because I was so allergic to fire ants, which I found out that year, that uh, I was no longer suitable for service. So they medically retired me. Uh, and then I got a job with Booz Allen working at the Pentagon, which honestly was a great job. I was on the 24-hour watch floor. I was, you know, two phone calls down from the the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. So it was a really, it was a pretty prestigious place to be, and that's kind of what made it hard to leave. But at some point, you, you're going to want to move to something that you really enjoy for work, not something that just feels important, but knowing that you're just a cog in the machine. So I got out of the, I stopped working at the Pentagon. I quit my job at Booz Allen the day before my 31st birthday. That way I could say that I'm a, I was semi-retired or financially independent by 30. It was the day before my 31st birthday. 
Um, throughout most of that time, like toward the end of my military career, like when I was in Georgia, I started getting serious about YouTubing. And uh, that's when I discovered Wall Street Bets. Would have been toward like the middle of 2000, summer of 2019, right before the guh moment when we watched that uh, control the narrative, lose all his money on that infinite money glitch. Um, but I had, you know, I had so much fun making YouTube videos that I just continuously did it while I could, where I could in between my work. And then things kind of took off. So that's when I realized I don't need to continue working 24-hour shifts at the Pentagon. I can just be a YouTuber. And uh, I took a lot of risk quitting my job. But I think ultimately it was it was a good choice. Yeah, yeah. So what? <clears throat> so you're married, right? What did your spouse yeah. think when you were like, hey, I want to pull the trigger on this? You know, I don't th I think she took it a little bit better than I expected her to. I thought she would think it was the craziest idea she's ever heard. But I tried all kinds of different approaches to get her to see that this was the right move. I tried just handing her, you know, $750 in cash once to show her, like, hey, this is the amount of money I made from a sponsor this week, stuff like that. Nothing there really moved the needle. What I did do was put together a couple of, um, I don't remember if they were PowerPoint slides or like a Word document, and I just kind of laid out, this is what our finances look like right now. This is what I expect them to look like after we you know after i go full-time on youtube and it didn't really quite play out as i expected because being home now working from home doesn't necessarily mean that i have more time to work on youtube i mean i have some more time versus when i went to work but being home working from home with a two-year-old it's not quite the same as working from home when you have no children so i didn't get quite as much time to work on youtube as i thought i did so i didn't quite hit the numbers i was aiming for but i think i'm probably still making approximately the same amount of money now as i was when i was working so that goes to show, you know, if you commit a little bit of extra effort to something, you can work fewer hours during the week and still come out on top versus both YouTubing and going to work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is so, so, I mean, I think that, you know, as, as both former military who are now, you know, full-time content creators, I definitely feel like the military are at least being in the military on the O side of the house or like probably, probably if you were like a senior NCO, you'd have the same thing, but just that like ability to set your own schedule, keep to it, not need to be like point and directed is so essential to being a content creator. Cause it's like ultimately only one person is going to keep you on track and it's you. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, that's why I can wake up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning without really having a problem with it. You know, if I need to crank out some extra work, I got no problem waking up early or working odd hours or multitasking because you get so much experience doing something like that in the military. that it's uh, it comes naturally now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's I mean, as you <laughs> said, like I always enjoy sort of seeing some of the like negative takes on the military, especially now I've. I've heard that recruiting has just been absolutely crushed, that they just cannot get folks to to sign up. And uh, I'm just like continually shocked when not only are the benefits so good, you know, and, and people in the comments are going to be like, you're shilling for the military, you're shilling for the military. I mean, What's listen, it's hard. Huh? Yeah, um, right. It's like, it's, how do you how do you not shill for something for an organization that, you know, paid you to go to college. I mean, cause I assume you had the same scholarship I did where they paid your whole tuition and then sent you a, like a $500 check every month. Just like, yeah, Hey, yeah. take care of yourself, bud. Um, and pay you 
a, a like a real professional job when you get out. I mean, I'm sure the Pentagon wouldn't have given you a second look if you didn't have a bunch of, you know, yeah. MI stuff in your resume and, you know, pro pro probably yeah. a clearance. I mean, you think about all the advantages you get when you join the military. I mean, you could be 18 years old with a GED. As soon as you join, you get your full health care covered, which in the U.S. is a big deal. In other countries, it's not so much. In the United States, that is a tremendous deal. Saves you easily $500 to $800 a month immediately. And then if you have a family, you're talking about saving $1,500, $2,000 a month just in health care premiums. All that is taken care of by the military the minute you join at 18 years old or whenever you decide to get involved. You're getting education the entire way. Whether you actually go to college or not, you're getting college credit. So you can get an associate's degree without doing any work other than your own military training for which you're getting paid. So now you have no debt. You're getting paid immediately. Your health care is all taken care of. You got the most generous retirement plan that exists uh, other than unless you're like, you know, a senator's son and you can get into some kind of like government position. These are things you're not going to get anywhere else at that age. You know, and I look at I sympathize with the people who, you know, they finish their college degree. They're eighty five thousand dollars in debt they have to pay interest on and they're struggling to get by because they you know it's tough to make ends meet sometimes but with the military you're set up for so much success there's really very few excuses yeah yeah even now you know and i've been <laughs> off active duty for i don't know i left back 2013 so nine years it's still my health care the va like you know it, it, people dunk on them and like i've never needed like really specialized care but Dude, I spent a hundred dollars this year on healthcare, and you're like, who? What? Where else are you gonna do that? You know? And it's the rest of my life. It, it, it's it's if people fully understood the benefits of the military, they would have to beat people away with a stick, like truly. Yeah. Even just let's, doing. Let's not forget. Uh, I mean, let's not forget either. That everybody who gets out of the military is gonna get some kind of pension from the VA. I mean, it's very rare that you see somebody get zero percent va pension everybody's gonna get something so you're already locking yourself in for a pension the minute you join unless you quit within the first few months and or get kicked out for drug addiction or something like that you're gonna get some kind of va pension and that's something you don't get that anywhere else now you get your 401k match and that's all you get as a retirement plan military takes big care of you we, we sound like shills right now or yeah like, yeah yeah with, I mean... with, with good reason i mean seriously anybody listening that you don't have to walk around Baghdad with a shotgun to be in the military. You can be a dental hygienist at a Air Force base in Florida or a, a Coast Guard station somewhere. It's basically the same as having a normal job. You just get so many more benefits for it. And I honestly, I credit the military with my ability to get to where I am now. Because without the military paying for everything, all stuffing my pockets with money and then giving me a pension and health care, there's no way I would have been able to take the risk I did when I quit my job. I would still be working at the Pentagon as a civilian and then YouTubing on the side. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. when I was with DHS, they added all my military service onto my pension. So, you know, I have, I have basically the pension of someone who's been working for the government since they were 18, 20. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like, you know, I have healthcare the rest of my life and I'm like, okay, like now I, now I can take all these risks. And I think it's, it's just like trading, you know, you, there's no zero risk trade, right? But the risk and the reward are what make 
big trades, like let you be able to do big trades. And, you know, when you have, it's like Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan, right? They have the deepest pockets in the industry and it lets them take some banana, banana size risk, but you can only do so when you're, you know, sitting on that much coin. Yeah, exactly. You you need to have a solid foundation under them. And that's why I always recommend people, especially when they start trading, focus first on getting that solid foundation underneath you before you start worrying about managing your your spreads. Like you don't need to worry about how to run an iron condor if you don't have any buy and holds in your portfolio. I mean, that foundation should look like a maxed out 401k life insurance plan and all the investments, at least for the first $10,000 going into blended or growth ETFs and then maybe some dividend ETF on top of it. Once you have that foundation underneath you and your debts are pretty much under control, now is the time at that point that you start learning the more complicated strategies. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's funny that we I think we've come to the exact same conclusion. You know, I have I have there there's investments that are like for my family, you know, for me and my mm-hmm. wife and and those are like boring and lame and just, you know, Warren Buffett approved. Uh mm-hmm. and then I have just a couple 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 a couple dollars set aside that are just like, you know, they're not I don't YOLO them, but I could yellow them, right? That's the intent is to just be like, I like this company. These guys are doing something good. Like, yeah, let's let's go long here. So, yeah, I mean, it's okay to get excited about something and wanting to yeah. invest into it. You know, the only people that I know who only invest in Warren Buffett stocks or just straight up blended ETFs, the only people I know who do that do it through their 401k at their company. They have no idea how many shares they have. They have no idea how much money they have. They just let it let it ride in some account. They barely even know what's in it. Nobody I know who actively trades and adds more money and focuses on finance just does ETFs. Everybody at some point, probably even pretty much the very beginning of when they invest, they still pick and choose companies that they want to invest in. And I don't think there's any problem with that. You know, it might not work out every single time, but you're taking prudent risk if you're doing it responsibly, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. And there's only one way it's, it's like working out or doing anything else. You know, you got to get reps in. And mm-hmm. the only way is to sit there and be like, okay, I'm going to fire up, look at these 10 K's, you know, do the, do the math, plug the numbers into the spreadsheet, make my, you know, walk yourself through your, your case, uh, and you know, take your chances. Um, or do what I did for my very first investment where you type in three random letters on your keyboard buy to pray and honestly it worked one of my very first investments ever i typed in ggc on my keyboard just threw my whole account into it it was only a few hundred dollars now at the time that was georgia golf corp and i didn't know what that did but i just all right whatever buy as many shares as my portfolio can handle i was just so excited to start investing ggc doubled in price merged with another company called alpha natural resources which is a coal mining company and then doubled again so I like four X'd my money on my very, one of my very first trades ever. Uh, now that company's bankrupt, but I had sold it prior and I ended up making a huge profit on it. I thought this was the golden ticket. You don't really have to do any kind of real financial analysis or risk management, just buy something. I was under the impression that every stock starts off as a penny stock. Like, cause if you look at Microsoft, given all its splits, it looks like the thing used to trade for like a dollar. So I was thinking that every stock out there, the next generation of big stocks is going to be one of these penny stocks. 
and just throwing my money into it. You know, you get lucky a couple of times and then the whole thing crashes. And I've got a whole video on that called uh, the sponge tech something or other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. The the I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, there was the bad sponge. There's another there's another podcast that has almost the exact same story. Also with two pretty degenerate traders called Trillionaire Mindset. And they have the same story about penny stocks, except theirs was a thing you put in your gas yeah. tank to make it go faster that he invested in. And then it like totally oh. went bankrupt. I've um, seen those. You know, I saw one of those recently too, when, uh, when gas prices took off to like five and a half, six dollars a gallon. People were talking about there's this like pill thing that you can put into your gas tank and you'll get better mileage. Basically all it did was like cleaned your, I don't know, your, cylinders or something you only need to do it once and it's like preventative maintenance but people were just dumping these things every single time they filled their tank and they ran into all kinds of problems with it avoiding their warranties or it would cause like too much corrosion inside their engine but people were just trying to get more gas mileage out of this i have no idea what happened to the company but i'm assuming based like so many of these other types of scams they ended up running off with the money and anybody who had invested into it just went went bust yeah, it's funny nowadays that you have, you know, one, in this market, finally, the strategy of throw money at any investment and it will go up is finally, you know, the stonks always go up is, is finally not true. And, you know, it's it's a lot of people are going to get burned who have considered themselves good traders, but are in fact just speculators. And, you know, you see it with crypto, right? Like the crypto pump and dump. But but it's not just crypto didn't invent it, you know, I mean, there's a reason Jordan Belfort is now a crypto guru. It's because he's a con artist Selden. and yeah. like, you know, he did it with stocks. He was running scams with penny stocks before anybody ever heard of, a you know, Marshall Rogan Inu or whatever your your favorite mm -hmm. shit coin is. Yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of these things are, too, that the. the shit coins they're just they're penny stocks like there's really no product behind it and if there is it's really not a very good one nobody's investing into it because they actually want to own the coin for its utility they're just investing in it because they think the price is going to go up it's the same exact thing you do with penny stocks and crypto is even so much less regulated than stocks it's a, a, another layer of speculation on top of it you know you can see a penny stock go up 100x you can see a shit coin go up 200x 500 1000x out you know within within days people they they want to chase that i think that's okay if you understand from the very beginning that this is a speculative investment and you're more likely to lose money than you are to gain it so i think it's so important get that foundation underneath you first growth etfs maxed out 401ks iras get some dividend stock in there too for the stability then you can start throwing a thousand dollars at a shit coin and it wouldn't be a big deal if it went belly up yeah yeah again risk risk management bankroll management is just such a it's such a skill set and i imagine you know do you ever feel like your background in mi sort of helped you understand like how to do the research or how to assess the risk um i mean probably to some extent i think it made me because you learn how to do better internet research when you're in mi like you know they have entire classes on how to do that so i think it does help me find information a little bit better i'm more easily able to spot something that's deceptive or all right, this this web address is there something funky about it or this this message coming across a board this this is not made to look like an advertisement but i can tell that it is because i'm used to seeing deceptive tactics and there's probably i mean there's plenty of people out there that can do that um, i think i was 
primed for a little bit earlier, I was less vulnerable to deception because I had some training on how to identify things like that. But I also do believe that there are people who aren't proficient in that skill. You know, even if it's just 20% of the population, that is a, a fantastic target for a scammer to go after. That means there's 20% of people out there who aren't going to be able to tell that this uh, bullish message coming out across social media is actually a paid endorsement from somebody, or it's just a straight up scam. And a lot of people won't realize that, and they'll invest into a fraudulent product as a result. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the scale and scope of deception online is, you know, frightening to me. And yeah, I did, when I was in grad school, I did some research into um, sort of online information operations by like state actors, Russia, Russia and China primarily. And just like, so the, the thesis I did was I, I actually ran the numbers. I was like, okay, what do we know that these guys spend on information, like prop propaganda, basically? Um, and how much could they actually get? And the answer is like hundreds of millions of comments and likes and posts and just like engagement. You know, it's, yeah. it's all you need is a few bots to start pumping something. And next thing you know, it'll it'll go viral. Yeah. Yeah. You get the bots to amplify <laughs> or you find people who are already who are just dumb, right? Like in the case of crypto, you would find someone who actually shills for your token, but you just amplify them. You know, you just have, you just raise the profile of their message. Like you said, use a botnet to make it look like it's a high engagement video or a high engagement post. And yeah, get the hashtag trending. Right. And then you can sucker in people who even sometimes sophisticated actors, because again, it's some of them are paid shills, but some of them are just dumb people who are shilling for something, who are sincerely shilling for something, believing it's not a scam. It's like beating the lie detector uh, test, you know? It's not a lie if you believe it. You know, I mean, there's... I've invested in, in shit... Not invested. I've traded shit coins before just because I felt like I could get in and out fast enough to make money off of it. And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I definitely don't think it's something that's sustainable. When you see something trending and you think it's going to trend a little bit longer, sometimes it's tempting to just go ahead. Let me let me throw 500 bucks into it and see if I can make $1,000. Then the problem is once, you, once it is up $1,000... And you want to hold it longer and see if you can make $2,000. And these things burn so hot and fast that everybody feels like they're smart when they get in. They see themselves make money. And then everybody feels really dumb when they're not paying attention for a couple of hours and the thing tanks right back down. Now you're selling at a loss. And then you just feel like you're the noob. And the fact is you were. You were the exact person that somebody's trying to get to buy their coins. Somebody who thinks they can get in and out quickly. But, you know, you get you get burned on stuff like that all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's uh. You know, there's there's always something to be said, I think, for like inversing, <laughs> inversing the consumer sentiment. And in this in this era where, you know, everything if everything you learn about crypto is on the Internet, then you got to ask yourself how many other people are being like. Like led along this information trail, you know, where you go, OK, you found a cryptocurrency, you started researching or any investment, right? Take your pick. And you start researching it, you look into it, and then you get to the point where you're at that buy decision. And, you know, I've been also, the algorithm has started giving me a lot of marketing content. And you realize, like, those are not accidental experiences. Like, the people who are really good at marketing create these, these paths that you walk on that end with you purchasing an item right yeah, whether it's a sales it's, funnel yeah mm -hmm. it's a sales funnel yeah and, and it's i remember just, bitconnect you remember bitconnect 
Yeah, I, I've heard of BitConnects. I never used it. It was this massive push on social media where anybody who you recruit into the, into the program, they buy their packages or their coins or whatever. There were several of them. There's BitConnect, USI Tech. They were all basically the same thing. It was a bona fide Ponzi scheme. And anybody who knows what a Ponzi scheme is can tell that immediately. You know, Pyramid, Ponzi, it had elements of both going on in there. Uh, but did I throw 800 bucks into it? Yeah, I did. Because I felt like I would be able to get in and out of the Ponzi for, uh, before the whole thing collapsed. And once you're buying into something like that, you realize it's not exactly a liquid investment. You know, I, I did make money off of it. It did go up in value. And if I were able to sell, I would have sold when I wanted to. But the problem is, you buy into a Ponzi, they put these barriers up to prevent you from getting your money back out. I'm just fortunate that I only put in $800 and watched that disappear versus some of these people I saw online, they were cashing out tremendous amounts of money, throwing their savings, taking way too much risk, throwing money into, into like things like BitConnect or USI Tech. And then you realize, you know, after the thing is over and you see what kind of engagement these Facebook boards and stuff like that are actually getting, some of those people that were cashing out their hundreds of thousands of dollars, they weren't real. They were bots. It's this, this facade of large numbers of people making these investments to try to get people more excited about it. Pump it, you know, share this guy. Look at this guy. He just, he just cashed out his 401k to buy this because he's so confident in how great this investment is. It makes people feel themselves more confident to invest. But it's, it's a farce. Like there's, there were some people doing that. I have no doubt. And you can see it. But I would say easily 75% of the people taking this huge risk were fake. It was just fake profiles, fake pictures, fake conversations between fake profiles. And yet they give this illusion that this is the next up and coming thing. And I know people got suckered into it because you can see them all talking to each other about it. You bring up the word BitConnect in any kind of crypto community, people treat it as a joke now, but there are some people who really got their feelings hurt. The same type of thing happened with Luna just, uh, what was that? February something? March? Yeah. The whole thing disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it was, I don't know if Terra, like, I think the actual developers of Terra Luna, like, I think they thought it was going to work. Like, I really thought. Yeah, but, I think it, it, they did honestly intend to create a good product there, but something fell off. And as soon as the thing lost its peg, it was just a, there was no stopping it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, if at the end of the day, the best litmus test is just your common sense, you know? And then somebody tells you, you can make 20% staking something in, you know maybe that'll work in like venezuela or something where like the where 20 percent is what you have to make mm. to stay on top of your currency but like those of us in the real world know that there's no if you could put your dollars somewhere to earn 20 percent, then someone way smarter than you with way more capital would have already money. yeah would have already exploited it and gotten it down to the point where it's adjacent to all the other you know, all the other investments, all the other, you know, risk trade-offs yeah. you can make. It's, it's funny you bring that up because when I was looking at USI Tech, which is really similar to BitConnect, there was some promotional video that they put out or like watch this interview with somebody or other. And there were these, you know, rich people in suits having dinner and they were, you know, taking, they were fielding questions. And they were all about, you know, how, how do you explain how successful this is? Well, like, you know, real softball questions. And there was somebody in the crowd who asked, if you're, if you're able to make all this money by you know trading and you're why are you going after these real um retail investors with only a few hundred dollars to invest why aren't we going to goldman and having them invest with us and the whole you know the whole board was like whoa, whoa, whoa. They, you know they tried to dodge the question they tried to downplay it 
And the answer basically came down to, well, we don't need to, you know, we're already making enough money. And then they, that was pretty much it. They were like, all right, well, let's, let's get back to eating and then we'll take more questions after. Huge red flag that somebody asks a valid question. You know, if you can make 20% a year, why are you soliciting investors who only, or no, it wasn't 20% a year, it was 1% a day was what you were guaranteed, you know, between 0.9 and 1% a day. If you can make that kind of return, why are you going after guys that are throwing it, throwing you 40 bucks worth of Bitcoin? Why aren't you going after the huge institutional investors that would love a 1% per day return? And if you can't answer that question, then it's a massive red flag. And I think that's kind of what prevented me from investing further is it showed me there's something suspicious going on here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I mean, it's bananas to me that it, it still works. That like, even though there's so many cryptos that are like clearly rugs and so many, I, I'm using crypto as an example, as like the, def, the, the quintessential, but like you said, there's all, there's variants of it everywhere. NFT version, I'm sure there's an NFT version of it. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. trading platform versions of it where it's so clearly like, like you said, you, you mean to tell me that Goldman, who recruits a bunch of MIT, you know, physicists and, and economists mm. at the top of their game, none of them have figured out what this scheme is, despite whatever these people are making videos about it, making PowerPoints about how the scheme works. Like, if it really was that good, you would never tell anybody, you know? When the, when the average person gets, you know, starts investing, are they going straight to Goldman Sachs's PowerPoints? No, of course not. They're going to, they're going to TikTok. They're going to YouTube. They're going to Reddit. They're going to find all kinds of stuff on there. If you're a brand new investor, you might think that 1% a day, yeah, that makes sense. That's $1 a day on $100. I don't realize that if you, you can just run that through a simple calculator and by year 10, you're going to be at hundreds of billions of dollars. And that does not check out. There is not enough money in the world for every investor who threw in 100 bucks to be a 100 billionaire in the next 10 years. I don't care how innovative your product is. There's going to be some barrier there. Nobody, nobody puts out content that would show that. You, know, you look at these 1% per day trajectories from a company or from a TikToker, they're only going to show you the first few months. And they're going to say, look, you can turn $100 into 600 And that sounds pretty reasonable. But then you start running that thing further 10 years and does it even make sense that I could be a hundred billionaire? Like, I remember people online posting that type of trajectory on Twitter, trying to show people that it's all a scam. And what do people comment and reply? Oh, you just don't understand the product or your math is wrong. Like, this is very simple mathematics. Run a compound interest calculator. For some reason, people who they want to buy into something they think is going to make them rich and any evidence to the contrary, uh, they look at you like you're wrong or you're just spreading FUD or something like that. The fact of the matter is we got to stay responsible with the investments we make and not get suckered into these, these scam programs that might look good on the surface. You dig a little bit deeper, just one layer down, and you realize how much of a farce it all really is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the, I think the, sad, the unfortunate reality is that for a retail trader, the information and, yeah, the information asymmetry between the market makers and retail traders is like you're almost you you can get lucky right anybody can get lucky but there's got to be a reality that like if you have if you're party to information something a strategy knowledge an insight into the market that gives you it 
if there's something that's going to give you an advantage, it's going to be a razor thin advantage. And, you know, that's why even hedge funds have to go to big banks with their handout looking for more cash. That's why they have to trade on leverage is because the most brilliant traders in the world, their game-changing money-making strategies are things that are like, oh, we think we can squeeze a tenth of a percent more based on the risk-adjusted return than the market. Now, if you give us a billion dollars, we can churn that into, you know, 10, 20 million, but... It's a good point. Like for a retail trader, you're just like <laughs> your risk. Like you can take risks and have potential higher returns, but like that's it. It's just you on a spectrum between the incredibly right. low risk, right. low return U.S. Treasuries, or yoloing everything on you know zero data expiration spy puts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's just yeah, like I got you. Yeah, it's funny what you bring up though because. During the freeloader challenge, you know, I've probably gone through 70, 80 different programs and found like five that are actually really worth the time. There are arbitrage opportunities for retail traders, but they're not the type of thing that's going to scale to, you know, it's not going to start bringing you thousands of dollars a day. You might start capping at 40, 50 bucks a day with almost zero risk. The only real risk would be like you, you enter a trade incorrectly because you, you weren't fully paying attention, which is a real risk. You know, you, you kind of mess something up in your input. Are arbitrage trades out there? They're not the type of thing that's going to make you tremendously rich off of it. You just might be able to scalp here and there with, you know, fraction of a percent in terms of risk. Um, sports betting arbitrage is one of those things. I'm going to mm. put out a video on that as soon as I'm done with it. But every, like, I think the stock market, like no matter which broker you go to, the price of a stock is the same. Mm -hmm. you, you know, within fractions of a second, they all update at the same time. Sports betting, it can take several minutes for something to adjust to a, they don't adjust to each other. Every sports book is going to have its own odds. And sometimes they're off from each other in such a way that you can play both sides of a sports game and guarantee yourself a return. And usually that return is less than 3%. And you can't drop $500,000 on Mariners Yankees. Like the, the book won't let you do that. You start getting capped at like a couple grand max. Mm -hmm. you, you know, if you're taking 3% of $1,000 on either end, what, 60 bucks? I mean, that's a, a worthwhile amount of money to make after just, you know, a couple of minutes of work entering into a, into a bet. So I've been doing that for the freeloader challenge. I haven't made any content on it yet because I want to aggressively do it. I've just been testing it so far. It does work. But just in advance, I do want to say you're not going to make, you can't make thousands of dollars a day off this. You can make tens of dollars a day, which is still worth the time. Mm -hmm. that, those arbitrage opportunities are kind of what you're describing, where you're just getting a small amount, not this massive 20% differential. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think as, as I do more stuff and, you know, I now consider myself you know now i consider myself a businessman but it's true it's like you know okay i i, I this is a business you know for tax purposes make youtube is a business and i realize i'm like we, when you add in things like what is your time worth like does this activity offset is it superior to flipping burgers at mcdonald's for an hour you know can i get more than 15 25 dollars an hour from this you start to realize you're like, oh, there's not a lot of like investing's power in some ways is like that it's a f 
a, a truly passive return, right? You take a little risk, mm -hmm. but you take smart risk, you get a return and you, all you have to do is like not pull your money out. Um, yeah, which and, is easy to say. It can be harder to do sometimes. I mean, remember June when stocks dropped like 12% within a, within a month, all of a sudden that just, oh, hold it and it'll come back up. That got a lot harder. You start thinking, well, maybe if I sell now and buy back in a month, I'll be able to buy back in even lower. That psychology comes into play. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's real. But I think that, you know, in terms of like investments, I I think now more about like what sort of productive assets can I own? Like I think more about things as like, oh, I could have if I could have a property, right, that that I rent out, like it's work, but it'll actually give me a way more consistent return. You know, I'm looking at doing like Turo, right? Like, okay, could Turo renting a car on this like car share platform, is that gonna actually give me a better return for my time even if it means i have to put up some cash and i got to put in some effort and i got to like learn some stuff but like it may be worth it and it's at some point you you it stops being an invest you stop being like oh i'm going to invest in this thing and i'm like oh am i just running a small a business and i think more yeah, people I mean, need to start thinking or could stand yeah. to think in that way that's why, you know, I, that's why I got to be careful with the freeloader challenge, because at some point, it just, depending on how much effort I'm putting in, it just becomes the side hustle challenge. And you're not, you shouldn't be trying to make a living off of your side hustles right off the bat. So it should always be looked at as some kind of supplementary income. And that means that you can't be dumping hours and hours and hours into it such that you would have been better off just actually getting a job. There have been activities that I've done where I'm like, hey, I made, made 14 bucks an hour basically off of this. That's it's fine. It's not great. But meanwhile, I got blisters all up and down my hands from picking metal out of a garbage can. Probably would have been better off just doing one focus group in one hour, making a hundred bucks versus spending six hours lugging garbage or metal out of a trash can and taking it to a scrapyard only to end up with 90 bucks. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, the amount of time versus the reward has to be taken into consideration and it's fun to do a bunch of different activities your time is valuable and you got to use it responsibly yeah yeah absolutely so okay so if, if someone is a retail investor in in this macro environment right where we're, we are and are not in a recession depending on your political bend or information what what is the thought process investors should have in your okay. opinion. Um, yeah, so first thing, first thing first, look at the resources that you have and the type of accounts you're using and compare that to your investing goals. And I don't mean that in a philosophical sense. I mean, literally look at what type of accounts you have available to you and make sure it's lining up with your intention. So if your goal is to invest and build wealth over you know, long-term periods of time, you do not need a Robinhood account, a taxable account need to first make sure that you're investing into your retirement accounts with your 401k and your IRA. You need to make sure that you have a life insurance policy. If your goal is to save for your kid's retirement and you do not have a 529 college savings plan and you're just dumping money into a savings account or into growth ETFs, you're probably not doing enough because you're using the wrong type of account. If you don't have any life insurance at all, but you have a family and you're afraid of buying life insurance because you think it's going to underperform the S&P, 
All right, that's, that's fine. But remember, life insurance generally isn't an investment. It's a hedge against your own death. You're buying puts on yourself. So get your life insurance policy first to make sure that your family's taken care of. That's going to go a lot farther than the extra one-twelfth of a share of SPY you were able to buy each month. So get, your, get that, that foundation underneath you. Get your life insurance plan. Make sure you're using the right type of accounts for your investment goals. And of course, there's nothing wrong with speculating either. But the first priority needs to be getting your money into growth ETFs. And if your risk tolerance is like mine, where it's probably about average, maybe even a little bit below average, throw some dividend ETFs in there too. That way you're getting your money every month. You're getting a little paycheck. And you're also getting all that growth from your growth ETFs. When that foundation is underneath you, then it's time to start doing a little bit more aggressive speculation. But you can learn how to trade spreads and options in the meantime. Just don't get aggressive with that type of trading until the rest of your foundational finances are all in order. That's my top recommendation. So it sounds like in the good times, the bad times, your the fundamentals don't change. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they really don't. I mean, it, it, one of the best strategies is to just dollar cost average in over time into equities that you like and meet the goals that you have. You really can't lose if you're just spending years and years and years throwing money into the S&P 500. The problem is you might never actually see any money that you can use until you're old. You know, traditional financial advice is dollar cost average in until you retire and then either start converting to fixed income instruments or just sell portions of your portfolio until you know to fund your ambitions in retirement. But I think most people now, they don't want to wait until they're old before they start realizing that they have money. Like if you've been doing all the right things for many years, it's okay to start taking some money out or get your dividend ETFs. That way you're meeting your actual goals instead of just dying rich do you know okay. what i mean i kind of came away from your question a little bit but yeah the point is the fundamentals really don't change that much depending on the condition of the market yeah yeah and i mean i think too i think there's a i've i've warmed up considerably to ideas about like like you said you know being 75 a 75 year old millionaire who you know it is like on dialysis or you know is in a wheelchair and can't leave the house you're like okay what of what of what good was this money like it's a security sure but um mm -hmm. you know i think that's a lot of people's mentality um especially when you're young and you're like i'll be 20 forever um yeah. i mean that's what the traditional finance advice is <laughs> throw your money into your retirement accounts max those out and you can retire you can retire rich but it's just like you said what's I mean, yeah, it might be a little uh, catastrophizing to say you'll be on dialysis and in a wheelchair by 75. Hopefully not. There are people out there that definitely have that situation. And what was the, what's the point of even having money or working so hard your whole life if you don't get to enjoy it until, it's, until you start having all these bugs in your system? Yeah. Um, I'm an advocate for invest aggressively. At some point, you need to start taking a look at what can the money that you have get you on a consistent basis if you just put it into either fixed income or very reliable dividend ETFs? And once you start getting up to the thousands a month, you can probably start shifting the way you look at work and um, you know, take advantage of that fixed income to supplement whatever kind of lifestyle you actually intended to live rather than having to slave your life away just so that you can die richer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard it called buying your time back, um, which I think is is a... Better, you know, a healthier mentality than like, I want to be so rich, I never work. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, I think a lot of people, especially younger people, should consider investing in more in like concrete skills, you know, and whether that's like you said, like putting in the effort of actually getting really good at trading um, or even just, you know, how long like nobody gets rich by investing or rather people get rich by investing, you know, a little bit at a time, but nobody gets achieves that level of wealth or success without some sort of skill that generates the capital that they then use to invest. Yeah. Um, I mean, you need something and I'm seeing how, how hard it is to start from nothing and build out a portfolio from it because my 3k challenge, it's, if I lose money on that 3k challenge, that's it. The money's just gone. There's really no way to add to that account. So you either just, you go for it and take a couple of big shots. And if they all fail, you're, you're done. Or you do it very slowly and steady over time, which is kind of what I'm doing. And it's sort of working out. Um, I have tremendous respect for the people that do have small accounts and are able to succeed from it because I see how difficult it is. And I totally agree with your point of view. At some point you need to fund your investments some way. And the freeloader challenge type stuff is a nice supplement. It's probably not going to do it. My advice would be to make sure you're not majoring in a hobby if you do go to college. Make sure you're, invest you're actually investing your time into education that's going to bring you a, a solid salary. And uh, if you're not going to college, learn something that's going to have some longevity into the future. You know, make sure you're, you're actually learning. You're not just working at 7-Eleven hoping to, unless you're really driving to be like the regional manager of 7-Eleven, um, make sure you're investing your time into a trade or a craft that's actually going to bring you some consistent money that's going to keep growing. And I will tell you now that Making a YouTube channel between January and October of 2019 did more for me financially than my entire bachelor's degree from 20, 2009 to 2013. And making a YouTube channel was a lot less work, and it cost me a lot less money. Well, it would have cost me a lot less money if the military didn't pay for it than going to college did. So investing in a social media creation lifestyle or profession or hobby, that is a worthwhile investment for any young person to get into. Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah, I remain shocked at the, the, the fact that this is like an industry, you know, I, you know, I, I have an agency now, they bring me ad deals and, and, you know, cool. there's a whole, those. huh? I don't have one of those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I'd I'd love, I'd love it. yeah, hit me, hit me up after this. I'm sure they would. Yeah, I'm sure they're, they're, they're always taking new people, even like kind of provisionally. Um, Dude, I, need an agency. I have more sponsors than I can make videos for. A lot of them are just like really crappy products. So I might get seven sponsorship offers and like two of them are actually worth it. The rest are like some Yankee, you know, or just not really a good product in general. Every once in a while you get something really good, but I could use an agency that's doing all that filtering for me. Yeah. And that's, that's what they do for me. And it's great. I mean, it's great because like, yeah, we actually just log into the same email account so I can see everything, all their back and forth. And yeah, they, they're, they're solid about filtering out scams and yep. They do yep. bulk negotiations, so like, mm. you know, there's, they will say, hey, we'll we'll bring this comp, we'll go to a company, they'll be like, hey, we know you have sponsorship money, we can reach, you know, a hundred million people, or we can reach four million people in a month, but it's going to be across a dozen creators, and oh, those okay. deals tend to, you know, obviously, like it's just less work for the actual company than you know they don't have the time to sponsor you know 
a guy getting 50,000 views a video, you know? Yeah, um, they don't want to be doing that to dozens of people. It's not worth their time. Just do it in bulk. All right, so you're going to hook me up with uh, the contact information for these people or send them yeah. my channel or whatever. We'll yeah, see if we can yeah, 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 yeah. I, I suspect, based on what Discord has told me, I suspect you may you may know because um, okay. we're, we're in a mutual server. But, um, okay. okay, so I am, I, yeah, I think definitely if you're like a young person and content creation, I think is, is actually like, you wish it wasn't, but it's the modern marketing, you know, it's, it, it is. I mean, I mean, think about it. You can, you want to run a traditional campaign on radio or TV or, you know, whatever else that, that company that's marketing that campaign, they, they're not going to get any conversion numbers they're not going to see how many people click this link or what demographic they're coming from they're just throwing their stuff out there on the radio uh, and they, they've got no idea what they're actually getting back how much of this is from word of mouth versus how much of this is from my ad but they can see all those numbers off of a, a youtube creator they can see how many people click that link they can see their demographics they can see what kind of conversion they had it's a lot better for them and for us as the creator there's fewer middlemen involved in it so we are highly motivated to actually take those types of sponsorship deals i think the, the problem comes in when uh, like like what I did with that um, like lithium stock or something like that. I was like, oh, they're paying me generously. All I have to do is give this meaningless endorsement that everybody's going to obviously see is just me paying lip service so I can get paid um, by saying, oh, this is you know, a, if you're a speculator with um, you know a high risk tolerance, this is a an interesting stock to add to your watch list. Like when I say something like that. To me, that sounds like, all right, this guy's just saying something and I would not really pay attention to that part of the YouTuber's video. But then I had, after I did that, I had people texting me asking me how to invest in this penny stock, like people I know from real life. And that's when I realized people will, people that like you and trust you, they're not really going to ask too many questions. They're just going to invest in what you talk about. So I realized at that point, this was about a year and a half ago, I really do need to be cautious about what I tell my viewers about because they will click on things just because I mentioned them. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, I think, will not adjust after the first time because they really enjoyed getting paid when they just made this meaningless endorsement that people actually ended up clicking on. Um, it's easy to get suckered into chasing the money. I'm fortunate enough that I'm not in a desperate situation to need to do that. I can now be selective about who I work with as far as sponsors go. But it will always be that mark of shame for me that I, I tried to give a worthless endorsement that nobody would take seriously just so I can get the money. And people actually, I'm sure somebody out there lost money because I talked about a stock that ended up being completely worthless. So always going to be a point of shame for me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I it the power of social media marketing, especially when, you know, viewers feel like, like we as creators, like they feel like they have such a stronger relationship to us than they do certainly almost every company but even things like actors and actresses like i think about in the 90s right growing up it was like oh you would profile this pop star in vogue and that was as close as a parasocial relationship you could get and it's like now viewers pop in and they see you know you or i for hours a week and yeah that's the strength of that relationship is tremendous and i realized like you know yeah when i first started getting like real brand deals and i was like oh like wow there's no way they're returning value and now i'm like i may have i, I must be the sucker like i think they're getting 10 times the value from from these endorsements they probably are 
yeah. I, a friend of mine sent me a video on like how this typically works. And you might think, all right, $1,500, that's, that's a good sponsorship. And you realize the amount of money that you're generating for the company is like tens of thousands. Like you're getting a fraction of it. But there's, there's a power imbalance between the marketer and the creator. That it, we're not going to be able to bridge that gap. I mean, there's probably somebody out there who can help you do that, some kind of producer. But now you got to pay them. So, you know, you, don't really, you never really know what you're gaining doing something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think bridging the gap would come down to launching your own product, you know, and sponsor yourself, yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. But, that's, what, that's what Patreon aims to do. But even then, you're paying Patreon. Yeah, and yeah. You are the only person making, your, making content for your Patreon channel. So you need to, it's, it's, you're adding one more thing for you to do rather than just add a one-minute integration into a video. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, like, want to move into, like, I have... I have a YouTuber's course and it was pretty successful when I talked about it in the videos. Um, I, I like beta tested with some people and I, I think I can make something better, but I realized I'm like, Oh, if I don't have a sponsor for a video, like I should just have something, something that I think has value that I own entirely, you know? And again, I, I think a course is good if I, I got to adjust some dials. The Patreon, you know, when I talk about it, it, it does return a lot, um, especially when I make a decent value proposition. Um, so, yeah, it's just a testament to the fact that you're like, yeah, just the value of creator marketing. And even if, if a young person who got into content creation never, like, you know, took off or blew up, it's like if you can learn how to do it, that skill itself, I feel like, is something you could go to these companies and be like, listen, your whole marketing department is just social media people. I ran a successful TikTok. I ran a successful uh, you know, Instagram account or a YouTube channel. Like, I know yeah, how to talk to these people, how to do this stuff. I mean, that's why I think... Even, even being good on camera, not being afraid to talk on camera, that alone is worth something to somebody. Because you know, if you can express yourself, you can explain your points of view you can do it in front of an audience without shaking or asking for help i think that alone is something that's very hard to teach people how to do if you can start off your real professional career by already being able to do that that puts you a few steps ahead of any of your peers yeah yeah absolutely absolutely point is yeah if you're looking for something that's going to start bringing you value maybe you're a young person you don't really know what you want to be when you grow up seriously make a youtube channel just find something interesting to talk about get decent at making thumbnails and editing. I use Vegas Pro. You will not go wrong. It will not be a waste of your time to know how to make a video and upload it. It's easy and it, it, you are gonna get some views. And if you make good enough content, you can become a YouTuber and you can make that your whole, your whole job if you want to. It's just There is no upper limit to how far you can go with it. Yeah, and I think that's true of a lot of like entrepreneurship in a way that investing mm -hmm. doesn't, necessarily give you like it'll grow it'll let you grow money you already have but if you can have some sort of business some sort of enterprise the sky is the limit to that sort of stuff of course but with social media creating there's no real financial risk to you at most you're going to pay 40 bucks for a course to learn how to use some editing software but you generally aren't going to need to sink thousands and thousands of dollars into starting your own youtube channel Whereas if you want to be a uh, drop shipper, you might, or fulfilled by Amazon, that FBA type thing trend going on, you do need to start by putting your money on the line. 
And that might be too much risk for somebody who doesn't have a whole lot to begin with. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. You know, you always, you can, you can make money. You can start a business by being smarter than everybody else, working harder, or just having capital or some combination of it, right? It's like, yeah, kind of pull you the know, mask. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, or, you know, what? or just join the military and all of your money will be discretionary income. Like you have virtually no expenses. <laughs> if you need to, if you want to jumpstart some kind of uh, entrepreneurial career and you don't have any money, join the military first and pursue whatever entrepreneurial ambition you have knowing that all of your needs are already taken care of and any money you get from your paycheck is yours to do with what you want it's true it's true and you might you might even learn some valuable valuable skills in the process yeah all right so we are right at an hour um any any shout outs you want to you want to make sure we give yeah, a, uh, you know, join join Discord. It's 100% free. So we've got the Theta Gang Discord going on. We've got channels for talking about trading, the Freeloader Challenge. We've got my Patreon channels there. We've got some channels that are for moderated discussions specifically about certain strategies. Whatever you want to talk about, we've probably got a channel for it. And you've got thousands of people that are ready to help you learn whatever it is you want to do. If you want to grow your own account using some kind of aggressive strategy, there's somebody else who's already done it before and can give you some advice. If you want to be conservative about it, you know, there's plenty of people doing that there too. If you want more access to me and you want to see what I have to say, there's plenty of channels where you can reach me. I'm on Discord every day. So join the Discord. Uh, I think there's going to be a link in the description. And again, it's 100% free. And, you know, if you don't like it, you can always just bounce. But I'm pretty confident that if people come and check it out, get a, a, an opportunity to bounce some ideas off of other traders with like-minded uh, ideas, then you'll be very happy with, uh, with joining up. Yeah, and like I said, we'll put the link in the description to the podcast here. Um, we'll also link to your channel, Kamikaze Cash. And um, yeah, once again, thanks again for, for coming on. It was great having you. Thanks for the chat. Appreciate it.